0: Good morning, I um, am so thankful just for our worship time, Uh, it's just been a delight to uh, worship our great God, the the father that we have been speaking of uh, for these few days. As I was sitting there listening to uh, Pastor Rick preach, I was reminded of a tradition that we have, Uh, some of you may have it as well too, we're coming up on Thanksgiving and how many of you guys are going to get together with family and friends? We get together on Thanksgiving, and it's our whole entire family. And we invite people over, and there's a great feast. And you guys probably do the same thing. You set the turkey right there, right on the dining room table, and everybody sits down. You give thanks to the Lord, and you just feast, and you just eat, and you 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 eat. And then our tradition is that we just separate. For some reason, the ladies go into the kitchen, and the men go into the living room, and we watch football until we fall asleep, <laughs> and the ladies talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and do what they do in the kitchen, and then about three or four hours later, we come back, and everybody's getting ready to go home, and we come back, and, and, and we leave just the carcass that, uh, that, that we ate off of. It's just sitting right there, and there's a few scraps of meat still left on it, and so we eat that before we go home. My sermon is the carcass that we're going to eat off of. Pastor Rick just served us the delicious feast. And so I'm going to pray that the Lord would just give us a few more scraps off of this wonderful, wonderful meal that we have been feasting on, thinking about God, our Father. So let's pray together and we'll open up God's word. Father, we adore you. Father, we love you. Father, you are worthy to be praised. And so we come once again to your word, asking, O God, that you would speak to us. That you would speak to us savingly and sanctifyingly and in a way that you would maximize your glory in our hearts and in our minds. So, Father, we pray that you would, again, gird up the loins of our minds and grant us the grace to think your thoughts after you. We desire to see you with the eyes of faith for who you are, and in seeing you, savor you, and enjoy you, and worship you. Lord, so would you come and bless us once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite everybody to take a Bible and open up with me to 1 John. 1 John. But I want to begin by sharing with you a story. It's actually a true story. Ike Brown Sr., a retired Jacksonville police officer, remembers the day that Takoya Kreiner, the man who killed his 21-year-old son, walked into the courtroom. At first, he wanted what anyone could conceivably want, revenge. But to his surprise, things played out differently. And I'm quoting him here as he gave an interview for an article written about him. He says, when the day came for court, I see him for the first time. I tell you, I just loved him. I can't explain it. I didn't have the feelings I thought I was going to have. I thought I going to be angry. I hate you. I want you to die. But I didn't feel any of that. Not only did Brown forgive Griner or Kreiner for killing his son, he actually ended up adopting him. I quote him once again. A lot of people still don't understand me. And for a while, I didn't understand me either. But I realized that it wasn't me, but the God in me that was really doing something that I did not even know was taking place End quote. And to this day, Mr. Brown adopted Griner, who killed his son, and he visits him every week as he spends the rest of his life in prison for the crime he committed. True story. How does that make you feel? What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, really, if the truth be told, what's going through your mind as you hear a story like that, that here's a man and another young man killed his son. He goes to court. He's looking for vengeance. He's looking for revenge. And somehow or another, he is overwhelmed with this love that he cannot explain. And it is a love that not only moves him to forgive this man for taking his life's son, but to move into drawing himself close to this man, as close as possible, he adopts this man that killed his son as his only son now. When I read that story, I didn't immediately say, oh, I get that. I I, I was more sympathetic to the first part of the story, like revenge. And maybe that's how you feel. And it's right to feel that way because in some senses, that would be justice. And if you feel that way, I want you just to think about what we've been thinking about so we can continue to think about that there is an even more extraordinary love of another father whose son was murdered by sinners. And yet that father, rather than destroying all of those individuals that murdered his son, not only forgave those sinners, but also adopted those sinners and made them his own sons and daughters. That's the doctrine of adoption. That's what, that's what Pastor Rick was preaching on in his second point about this 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 love and this communion and this intimacy that God the Father has brought us into by a pure sovereign grace. It is an amazing love. This is extraordinary. This is unheard of. That the sovereign, holy God of the universe would adopt sinners that put his son on the cross. And yet, that's exactly what he has done. And for those of us that have faith and trust and resting in the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, whom we put on that cross, we have been adopted into his family. And right now, we sit here worshiping our father as his sons and daughters. It's an amazing love it's an extraordinary love. It's a love that is incomparable. There is nothing like it here on earth. And our text this morning in 1 John chapter 3, the apostle John wants us to see that. He wants us to glory in that. He wants us just to dance around and be bathed in it and have wave after wave after wave of that kind of love wash over our minds and wash over our hearts so that we would would never just think about the reality that we are now God's sons and daughters as something common, as something that we should ever get used to. In fact, almost every moment of every day, every time we wake up, we should just be stunned and amazed and awestruck and astonished at the reality that I am as a sinner, now a son of the living God. John knew that, and John is writing to people who have come to that reality, and he is pressing home this truth. That they would never, ever forget, that we would never, ever forget the extraordinary, the outlandish, the lavish love that the Father has bestowed upon us. And so, as I read this text, what I want you to be thinking about, and I'll give, give you these in a moment. I, I want to just set before us three truths, so if you take a note, you can write this down. Three truths about the doctrine of adoption which ought to encourage us to praise the Father for his incomparable love toward us who believe. Three truths, and they're going to flow right out of the text. Let me read the text before us. This is God's word. Let us hear him this morning. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called Children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him. Purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen? This is God's word to us. J.I. Packer wrote this. He said, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. That's an extraordinary statement. Let me read it again. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better grasped than our understanding of adoption. And he's implying, and rightly so, that to fully understand our relationship with God, we must understand the reality of our adoption by God. That when we think about all that God has done in the great drama of redemption, that the the apex of it is that he he is bringing us to himself. that's why he sent the Son into the world, as Pastor Rick mentioned. He sent the Son into the world that the Son might bring us to God. It is, in fact, what eternal life is all about, that we would know Jesus Christ and that we would know his Father intimately and eternally. We will spend all of our time in heaven glorying in the reality that we are children of God. And we cannot fully appreciate and understand that reality apart from the doctrine of adoption. I want to give us, before we dive into the text, a a working definition. It's a long one, and it's okay, and I'll read it for you. And you guys just want to try to press this in your mind as we're thinking about what is the doctrine of adoption. This is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Let me read it. I quote, all those that are justified, God gives in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. By which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption. And inherit the promises as heirs of eternal salvation. And let the church say, amen. All that to say, God adopts sinners and makes them his own dear children. And John, as he writes here, wants his readers to understand that great reality. So heading number one, let's, we'll take them in order. The first one is just simply this. I want you to see the greatness of our adoption. The greatness of our adoption. As John is writing here, and we already looked at this, if you guys want to turn back over uh, to chapter 1, Pastor Rick mentioned this, that he is writing so that these readers might enjoy the fellowship that that, that the apostles are enjoying. In verse 3, what we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. It is a fellowship that all believers, all who have faith in Christ, enjoy. That fellowship, that partnership, and. Indeed, that fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So let's not leave out the Holy Spirit enjoying our triune God. It is made possible by virtue of our union with Christ that is mediated by the Holy Spirit. So we have fellowship with the Triune God, and John is writing for that purpose to enhance that reality in the minds of his listeners, so that we might know for certain that we have a relationship with God. In fact, some of you know this if you turn over to still in First John, uh, chapter five, verse. Uh, 13. This is really the the hub and and basis of everything that he's saying. He says this. uh, This is the key verse in the whole epistle. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And what is eternal life? Fellowship with God. That's what eternal life is. When we talk about being saved, when we talk about possessing eternal life, it is fellowship with God, God the Son and God the Father. But as we drill down into the context of our verses here, John has just finished talking about being born of God. Let your eyes drift back a little bit into chapter 2, verse 28. Or John says, now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is begotten of him. And it's as if when John mentions begotten of him, his mind just goes to the doctrine of, of adoption and, he, and he's glorying in that reality. And he wants everybody to be, be, be reminded of that. And so he says there in verse one see, it's a command, this is not optional. We must think about this. We must see this. There is something here that John wants us to behold, and it is this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. He wants us to take a look at the greatness of the reality of this love that caused the Father to adopt those of us who are sinners into his own dear family. And I want to just tease this out a little bit and just do a little theology here because you might be thinking, well, what's the connection between verse 29 where John says those who are begotten of him, and when we think about begotten, we should be thinking about regeneration, to be born again, to be born above. And then when we get here, see how great of love, I think that's more so talking about adoption. So how do we, in fact, get into the family of God? Have you ever thought about that? Do we get into the family of God because we're born again? So are we born again by supernatural generation, or do we get into the family of God by adoption? Which one is it? It's both. And in John's theology, he merges those things together. But they are separate, indeed, they are separate. Regeneration is not adoption, and adoption is not regeneration. But John brings them together, and I want you guys to see this. So with your fingers still here in 1 John, turn over to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I think we get a better understanding how John understands this. Theologians are, are, are not all in the same place on this. We are born again. We are given the nature of God, but that is, that is not what causes God to adopt us. God, God adopts us in his sovereign. he makes a decision before we're ever born again. He knows that we're going to be born again, but he adopts us even as he looks, looks to us as sinners. And here in John chapter 1, I want you to notice what John says at the beginning in verse uh, Pick up in verse 9, there was the true light that John writes, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He, speaking of Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Now notice this, but as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God. That language right there is a legal language. The right to become children of God is the language of adoption. It's the authority to take on the name and the status of the children of God. Notice what he says. He continues on. Even to those who believe in his name, that's faith. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right? So he has adoption, and he has being born again and regeneration in the same context. If we were to back this up and do theology moving backwards, I'm going to put it this way. This is what happens, and I think this is the order that it happens. That we are regenerated, that's being born of God, That's the first moving of God from the effectual call. God regenerates us. We become born again. As a result of that, we respond to the gospel, and we believe. You guys see that in the text? We are born again. That moves us to those who believe in his name, so we're justified, and as a result of that being born again and justified, then God adopts us into his family. I think that's the order, but don't make the mistake that is this, that God, that God gives us regeneration, and then somehow we're worthy then to be adopted. That's not the case. It precedes it, but it doesn't make us worthy of it. So God gives us his own divine nature and he adopts us, but all of those are gifts of God's grace. Are you guys still with me this morning? So understanding that that regeneration, supernatural generation happens and legal adoption happens, but he does it all by sovereign grace. That it is one decree of God before the foundation of the world that he would uh, uh, give us the new birth and that he would adopt us, and it's all because of his great love. Turn back over to First John. And so John, he may have both in mind, but I want to focus and zero in on adoption. This is the incomparable love of God. Let's look at it again. See how great a love And it is a great love. But I want to say that that the agent of this great love, the ones whose love that is flowing from is the Father. You guys see it there in your text. Underscore that in your Bible. It is the love of the Father. Are we loved by the Son? Yes. Are we loved by the Holy Spirit? Yes. But this specifically and distinctively points out the Father, who my dear brother said is the supreme. Yes, the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal, but this is the Father loving sinners, loving those who hated him, loving those who rebelled against him, loving those who had no affiliation with him and wanted no intimate contact with him, he loves them. And it is a great love. The way that John writes here, you see, is not see how great the love of the Father is. It's see how great a love, which speaks to the quality of the love, the essence of the love, the nature of the Lord of the love. It can literally be translated. See what sort of love is this? In other words, um, John is he's grappling for some kind of comparison, some kind of analogy to say it's almost like this, and he can't find it. This kind of love is so otherworldly; he can't find a comparison to the kind of love that we have been uh, lavished with by the Father. And it is a lavish love. You see it there? See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, has lavished over us. And it's written this bestowal on us in a, in a tense that means that it happened at a certain point of time with continual results. In other words, it, it's, it's a love that the Father has given to us that he will never renege on. That he will never take back. If in fact this is the doctrine of adoption, you have been adopted by the father and it can never, ever, ever be reversed. You are now his son or his daughter forever. You will always live under, throughout eternity, under the bestowal of this kind of love. Hallelujah. What manner of love is this? That we should be called the children of God. It is an amazing love. Matchless, measureless, incomparable. There is nothing like it in the universe. Let this, dear brothers and sisters, sink down into your heart. John says that we would be called the children of God. That we would be called. It's, a, it's a, a passive. So the idea isn't that we call ourselves children of God. The idea is that someone else is calling us the children of God. And the question is, who is it that's calling us the children of God? Answer, the Father. The Father acknowledges that we as sinners are calling us Children of God, it's part of our calling. We are the called ones. Yes, we are called out of the world, but we are called into the family of God. And now we bear the name of our father. We are called by God the father, his children. That is an amazing reality. That this thrice holy God, the creator and ruler and sustainer of the universe, would call me a sinner, his son. What a love. How amazing is that? And it is all by sovereign choice that he would do this. Brothers and sisters, to see the father's adoptive love rightly is to bow down before him in adoration. It is beyond comprehension that we as unworthy, rebellious sinners would be so loved by so great a God That we would be called by him, his own dear children. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We've covered that our dear brother did. We see it again there. This should thrill our hearts and this is what John is aiming at. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, he predestined us. That this destiny to be adopted was, was predetermined before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. And may I just add here, when it says he predestined us to adoption as sons, my dear sisters, that includes you as well. The Bible talks about adoption as sons. It, it, it isn't trying to, 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 to not include your sisters, but that's the language of sonship because the son was the heir. So it uses son, but it includes your sisters as well. And let all the sisters say, amen. You is just as much a daughter of God as we are sons of God. All of us are his in, 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 inherits. We, we, we are part of the family by adoption because God determined it. Ages ago before time began, it is a great love that we have been bestowed on. And let me hasten to say that it is a love that is bestowed upon all of us who believe in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that there back in John 3.1? Uh, you see how great of love the Father has bestowed upon us, all of us. In this adoptive family of God, there are no second-class children. Everybody say amen. amen. Some of us that have come from multiple children households, we know that fathers can sometimes have favorites, or at least it seems that way. And sometimes we can grow up in a setting that we feel like our father loves one of our, one of our siblings more than he loves us, that there's somehow or another more love being poured out on this one son or on this one daughter because they, they, the, the father just seems to like him or like her more but not in the family of God. This this great, wonderful, matchless, measureless love is bestowed on all of us. Is that not amazing? All of us. There are no favorites in the family of God. Each and every one of us is the apple of his eye. What an amazing love. But I want to move from the greatness of adoption to the privileges of adoption. That's our second heading, the privileges of adoption. Notice how John writes here, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And he says, and such we are. And you have to ask yourself the question, why does he emphasize that? He just said it. Why does he say, and such we are? And I think the answer is, he gives to us at a moment, the answer is, is because we're not always recognized like that. Notice what he says there, for this reason, and you ask yourself the question, for this reason, is that what he just said or is it what he's about to say? I think it's what he's about to say. He says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. This is what I think John is saying. We are called the children of God by God, but the world does not acknowledge it. In other words, we walk around here, and like, I'm a child of God. And sometimes we can expect certain privileges as a result of being a child of God from the world. And John is saying, don't expect any privileges to be given to you by the world because they don't recognize you as the children of God. And the reason they don't recognize you as the children of God, they didn't recognize the son of God when he came. And since you are a brother and a sister and there's a family likeness in the household of God, the world is not going to recognize you as well. I don't care if you have a fish sticker on your car or wear a big, huge chain around your neck. You are not going to get any privileges from the world because you are a child of God. So don't expect it. But the fact that you don't get it doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. That's why he's underscoring it. He's saying, and such we really are, even though the world doesn't acknowledge it. And they did not acknowledge their reality, did they? When the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who bore perfectly the image of his Father, came to walk on this earth for 30 plus years, that was the whole problem. He came declaring that I and my Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the exact representation of the nature and essence of the Father. He is the Father incarnated, and they did not know him. They did not recognize him as much as he proclaimed to be and proved by his words and his deeds, rather than recognizing that he was the son of God. They crucified him for proclaiming that he was the son of God. And so don't expect, brothers and sisters, any love from the world. And quite frankly, sometimes we act as though that's what the world owes to us. Don't we? we? We sometimes like, how does the world treat us like this? If we're the children of God. Well, how did they treat Jesus, our big brother? They nailed him to a cross. Why would we expect anything more? In fact, let me just underscore this for a quick moment. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 15. You all have been working your way through John's gospel. I'm sure Pastor Kerry pointed this out. John 15, Jesus, wanting to make sure that his brothers, once he left, wouldn't expect any more from the world than what he got. He says this in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the world, remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Then drop down to chapter 16, verse 3. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Do you guys understand? They did not know the Father. They did not know the Son. They do not know us. And John says, but we are still the children of God. No privileges from the world, but they are privileges that come from adoption. And so let me just, for a moment or two, give you six privileges of adoption, six privileges that each and every single child of God has currently right now, even though it's not recognized by the world. First of all, and I'm stating the obvious, that we move as a result of adoption, we move from being children of wrath to being children of God. We move from being children of wrath to being children of God. You are now part of the family of God. God is actually your father, and as I said, that reality is extraordinary. Let me underscore this by quoting J.R. Packer again. I think this is the last time I quote him, at least in the next 10 minutes. J.R. Packer says this. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Justification. Some of you say, whoa, back up, Pastor Kid." No, I'm quoting J.I. Packer. The free gift, listen to how he reasons, the free gift of acquittal and peace, which is justification, won for us at the cost of Calvary, is wonderful enough. But justification does not of itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God the judge. In idea, at any rate, you could have the reality of justification without any close fellowship with God resulting. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as a father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children to be right with God. The judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. You guys get the idea. But we love the doctrine of justification. Amen. Let the church say amen. That we've had our sins taken away and imputed to Christ on the cross so that he died for our sins, paying the penalty that our sins deserve, and we have his righteousness imputed to our account by which we are accepted to God. That is wonderful, but that doesn't by necessity bring us into an intimate relationship with God. It's a legal act. It just means that God no longer will condemn us. But adoption, brothers and sisters, brings us into the very heart of God. Not just the home of God, but into the heart of God. It is, in fact, I agree, the highest privilege of the gospel. And you can't fully appreciate this, brothers and sisters, unless you fully appreciate who you used to be before God adopted you. And we think that we were just, if I can just paint the picture, that, that, that we were orphans, and we were orphans, but that we were really, really the cute ones in the orphanage, Right? <laughs> Our hair just all slicked back with brill cream and, you know, these beautiful eyes. And somehow God came around and said, oh, he is so cute. I pick Carrie. <laughs> but she is so adorable, I pick Pam. That's not who we were. We were deformed. We were wicked. We were insidious. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, That by nature, we were children of wrath. That we were sons and daughters of disobedience. There was nothing in us, brothers and sisters, adorable. Nothing. And yet, in sovereign grace and mercy and love, the Father, if you are a believer, chose you. Is that not amazing? It chose you. For no other reason than that he chose you. Why? Can't, we will spend eternity wondering, why? Why, Father, did you choose me? Because he decided to choose me. That's the wonder of this kind of love, is it not? It's inexplicable. You cannot look inside of yourself and try to discover the answer to why he loves you. You must look outside of yourself and see him as a loving God. And that's what he does. He puts his love on display by loving those who don't deserve to be loved. And we then are brought into that family. And we are brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Let some of my brothers and sisters say amen. Amen. Let me reintroduce myself. I am Brother Anthony. (laughs) I am a brother from another earthly mother. But we have the same Father. That's why, if I could just push this a little bit, that's why it's so insidious, it's so insane for there to be divisions amongst God's children. That we pull ourselves together on all of these secondary, tertiary, worldly issues. When in fact, we have the most most fundamental and essential thing in common, and that is our fatherhood or the fatherhood of God. We really are, and this is a truth, it's underscored by Scripture. I am more of your brother than your blood brother who does not know Jesus. He has made us his children. We are bound together in our union and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will spend eternity together celebrating the love of our Father. Shall that not at least in some measure be walked out here on earth? It is a privilege that God has given to us. And the world is is looking for something. It is looking for a love That the Father has given to us, and we can only display that love when we act as though we are of the same family. And He means, He means, He is ordained to glorify Himself here and now as we live that out. I am Brother Anthony. Hallelujah. What a love that God has loved us with. You guys remember that when Jesus. But the rich, rich young ruler in Mark 10, and he gives him chance after chance after chance, but he knows his heart is not right. And the disciples <laughs> say to him that we have left everything for you. What will we get? Do you remember Jesus' answers? He says, "Will you get everything. And he starts listing off things, houses and farms, but he says, brothers and sisters and mothers And fathers. What does Jesus mean by that? He's saying that you might be forsaken by your family when you join up with me, but I'm leading you into a greater family so that no matter where you go, when you find another Christian, you have found a brother or a sister. Amen. We are now children. Privilege number two, and our dear brother touched on this, so I won't spend too much time here, but it's good, so it's worth underscoring that the doctrine of adoption means now that we have intimacy with our Father through the Spirit. We have intimacy with the Father through the Spirit as an adoptive child of God. It is not as though our father is some distant father. It is not as though that he, he's adopted us and then he's brought us into his home and he's moved away. The adoption, by definition, brought us in, brings us into this, this most intimate of relationships. And sometimes, dear brothers and sisters, this is hard for us to grasp because some of us grew up in homes where we had distant fathers. Fathers that that, that were always in their office or fathers who came home and didn't interact with us. And so when we hear about the intimacy of of our Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to to move into that space, but it is a reality. And not only is it a reality, but it is a reality that that God the Father out of his love has given us something to make that not just a reality, but an experiential reality. And I want you just to turn into in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 because I know that some of us, don't always feel close to the Father. But God has taken care of even that. Here in Galatians chapter 4, I want you to see this in verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes this. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might, notice this, receive the adoption as sons and because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of, or sent sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." Do you guys see the logic of what He's saying? That you have been adopted as sons and daughters. But that's not all. I'm actually, the Father says, is going to send the Spirit of My one and only begotten Son into your heart, and he is going to be the one that's going to make this intimacy a reality, so much so that he's going to enable you to cry out from your soul, Abba, Father, do you see? That each and every one of us who have been adopted by God, we have the spirit of the Son of God dwelling in us so we can cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is just an Aramaic word that just means daddy, daddy. It's close, it's intimate. I remember being at a park in our neighborhood, and it's a a large Jewish neighborhood, and the little boys were running around going, Abba, Abba, Abba. They were calling out to their father. We have the spirit of the Son in us to cry out to our father. So, whether you feel it or not, it is a reality. Have you ever noticed this? I love this, this is so good. I'm just, I'm I'm re-preaching Pastor Rick's sermon now. He gave the analogy that he said that the Father, I think, is the code to the alarm to get us into the gates in the home. How many of you guys have alarms on your homes? You guys live in North Carolina. You don't need alarms. Okay. So everybody in L.A., right? Everybody in L.A. has an alarm. We got seven alarms at our church, you guys. Oh, just, like, everybody needs it. But have you ever had that just crazy experience where you get to the code and you forget the code? right, and the thing is going beep, 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 and it just just beep, 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 and you're just racking your brain, right, racking your brain, and you think the cops are going to show up at any moment, you're like, what's the code? Well, life is like that sometimes, is it not? It begins to beep and beep and beep faster and faster and faster, we begin to feel anxiety and pressure, and our peace is gone, and we're thinking, what's the code? The code is F-A-T-H-E-R. Or maybe A, B, B, A. That's the code that the Father has given to us. That's the code that the Spirit of the Son in us has just put in the code. And everything will be all right. Do we not find Jesus Christ in his most crucial moments praying, Father? Have you noticed that? You guys went through John 17. I'm sure Pastor Kerry brought that out. And if he didn't, I'm going to bring it out for you. John 17, Jesus standing on the brink of accomplishing his mission. He's about to go to the cross. It was already mentioned. He he prays for his disciples. But here you see it there. Jesus, he prays in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Verse 5, now Father. Verse 11, Holy Father. Verse 21, Father. Verse 24, Father. Verse 25, O righteous Father, in his hour of need, he cries out to his Father. And you have the same right. You have the same privilege to do that. Cry out, Father. I sometimes, and I have to be careful here, but I listen very carefully to people when they pray. And I think there's something to be said about the authenticity and genuineness of somebody's salvation when they moan and groan in their heart and they say, Father. And the Spirit of the Son moving on the human soul to go past simply God. That's enough, God. But Father. And Jesus in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. On the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, into thine hands I commit my spirit. Father, Father. And brothers and sisters and friends, I'm pressing here because I've had the experience of counseling people who have trouble moving into the intimacy with their heavenly father because of issues that they've had with their earthly fathers. And so I've heard people say that I love Jesus and I'm comfortable with Jesus and I can draw near to Jesus, but the father, and what they're doing is, is that they're doing it backwards They're using their their earthly father as the standard, and they impute that on God the Father. Don't do that. Stop doing it if you're doing it. It has to be the other way around, that the father is the standard, and all earthly fathers are going to fall short to one degree or another, so don't look for ultimate satisfaction out of your earthly father. Cut him some slack, and I don't mean to minimize any hardships that you have faced because of a hard, ungodly father. But don't take that into your relationship with the Father because he is perfect. And he has opened up a treasury of grace and mercy and kindness and love for all of his children. Which leads me to privilege number three. Privilege number three. Special concern. The doctrine of adoption means that we have the privilege of special concern and care from the Father. We are no longer orphaned, but we are part of God's family, as I said, and God has promised and pledged himself to care for us. That he just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. All that is at his disposal is ours. In Matthew 7, 7, 11, and we had already mentioned this, that if you, being evil as fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our father Give good gifts to those who ask him. And in Luke's uh, take on that is give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. All right? We know how to give good gifts. We love it. We love it. And I don't mean to rain on anybody's parade, but, but we, we get down on Christmas, you guys. It's fine if you don't, but we just want to pour out on our kids. It's present day. Right, and I don't try to spiritualize it, and I don't, you guys, I don't. But you know, the Magi brought the gifts. I don't try to spiritualize it. I'm just, I'm happy to buy presents for my children on Christmas because they're my kids, and I love them, and I want to care for them. I want to make them happy, and we never talk about, oh, if you don't, you know, get good grades, and it's none of that. It's none of that because it's all of grace. It's all of love, and our Father will care for us swell. Number four, the next privilege that we have is liberty and freedom with our Father. Liberty and freedom with our Father. We are no longer slaves. If you guys want to briefly turn here with Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. And Paul begins the chapter by saying, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has taken our condemnation away by giving it to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore it on the cross on our behalf, in our place. But he says this, if you drop down into verse 14, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of, here's the word, adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. And that idea in Paul's mind there is that we're we're not slaves. We don't have to be afraid of our Father anymore. The law has been taken out of the way. It can no longer condemn us. So we have freedom in the presence of our Father. We don't have to fear that he's going to be mad at us and condemn us. And sometimes Christians walk around there that, that if I just do the wrong thing, the father's going to bang me on the head. Kind of like what our, what our fathers used to do to us, right? That's not our father now. There's liberty. There's freedom. We could come. I love that picture, brother, that he, he just, just while you're sitting there and you're, you're preparing for a legal brief or something like that and your daughter just ran into your presence. She was not afraid. How many of you guys have seen that iconic picture uh, uh, when President Kennedy was sitting in the Oval Office on the desk, and, and little John is underneath the table, and here the President of the United States is, and dignitaries all around him, and little John, the story goes, ran into the Oval Office and ran underneath his father and parked himself right there on the desk. What a picture. What a picture. That's the picture that we have with our father, right? We can put it this way, dignitaries, (laughs) dignitaries of angels and seraphim and cherubim all around him. And guys, we have free access to our Father and we can run into his presence and sit around his desk, around his feet, as it were, whenever we want to. He invites us into his presence. And you don't have to fear, is that not amazing? That we have that kind of liberty, that kind of love that has been bestowed upon us opens up the gates of our Father's heart for us to come and run in, and he delights for us to be there and to stay there as long as we like. We have freedom with him. Number five, and I'm hastening through these to get to our last point. We have fatherly discipline as a result of adoption. Fatherly discipline, Hebrews chapter 12, you know this. Hebrews chapter 12, where the father disciplines those whom he loves when our father gives us a gentle spank, it's not out of anger, but is out of care and concern and love. He says this, Hebrews chapter 12. But if you are without discipline, I'll back up to verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate child, not a son. We had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. He that is our Heavenly Father disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. He loves us so much that he will bring into us his own likeness and holiness, and he chastens us. He chastens us and scourges every son whom he loves and receives. Hallelujah, that our Father loves us that much. And then sixthly, the last privilege that I'll mention here is that we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are heirs. We have been made heirs with Jesus. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 17. I won't go to it. You guys can refer to it. That all that is is by virtue of him being the only begotten son is also ours as his brethren. Our portion may be small here on earth, but there is a great inheritance protected and preserved for us in heaven that awaits us. It's a great thing, and, and, and I don't want to rob any thunder from, from Carrie, so I'll just mention it. That Jesus, when he's raised from the dead, and he encounters Mary. And she's clinging on him. You guys know the story in John, 7, in John 20. She's clinging. And he says, stop clinging to me because I have not yet ascended to my father. And to your father, she says. And right there, right then, she puts Mary and all of the disciples and all believers on the same par with himself. He is not only Jesus' father, but he is our father. And we are heirs and joint heirs with the risen Christ. All that is Christ is ours. It's amazing. You may be poor here on earth, but you are rich in heaven. And that leads us, and finally with this we'll close. We've seen the greatness of our adoption, the privileges of our adoption, but then thirdly, the future hope of our adoption. We have that hope now, so if you guys want to go back to John and just open up there just briefly, and we'll take our seat. Beloved, now we are, this is verse 2, we are children of God, and it it has not appeared as yet what we will be, We know that when he appears, that he is not the father appearing. The father doesn't appear. The son will appear. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. There is still a hope of anticipation, of a great consummation when we will be glorified and we will see Jesus, our big brother, as he is. And in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye, he is going to transform the bodies of our lowliest states into the likeness of his glorious body. And then we will be able to say to the world, do you see me now? I ain't playing, y'all. <laughs> we can say to the world, I told you. We will be recognized for who we are. That's Paul's argument in Romans chapter 8, that the whole of creation is groaning and eagerly waiting the revelation of the sons of God. And that day will come. That day is hastening. That day may be tomorrow when Jesus, our son, breaks through the heavens and the clouds and we who know him will be caught up together with him and transformed in the moment. And we ourselves will be as much like the glorified Lord Jesus Christ as glorified humanity can be in thought, word, and in deed. We will mirror and reflect the glory of our big brother. Why? Because our Father has loved us and that love rests upon us. So take that hope to finish off the verse. Take that hope. Fix it in your mind and your heart. And live like a child of God. Represent your father here. John writes it this way. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Live according to your family creed and crest. Be like your big brother. Be like your father. His spirit is within you. Live a life worthy, not that you merited, but out of gratitude and out of celebration for his love. Live a life that is pleasing and honoring to our father. And one day he will come and receive us all unto himself. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you for who you are. Thank you for loving us with the lavish love. The greatness of it is incomparable, and we marvel at it, Lord. We pray that these truths that we've feasted on this morning would rest upon our minds and our hearts, that we would glorify you as we think about them, We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.